Welcome to another episode in the Kingdom Principles series where we look at a problem that Jesus had, a principle he taught, and a promise that comes with that principle. So today we're looking at reaping, and um, there's a problem Jesus came across which I don't think we initially realize what I believe is going on in his heart and mind when his disciples ask him a specific question. Let me teach you uh, what his response is, but let me first explain the problem. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus does not give them a straight answer. He gives them all sorts of warnings and it culminates in a parable which I'm going to share with you in a moment. The question is, why does Jesus not give a clear answer? And why is it that the Bible and the Father in particular seems very keen to make sure we don't know when and where and how exactly the second coming of Jesus will be, or the day of judgment, if you like. We know we'll be judged. We know that in some way, probably not the way we imagine it, but in some way, Jesus will come again. We know there are certain principles we can look out for, but we don't know when. Why is that? So Jesus gives all these warnings, and then he shares this parable, which I believe gives us some kind of insight. So let me share the parable with you. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here is the bridegroom! Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps have gone out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on the way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later the others came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So context helps us understand, I think, what's going on in this parable. Uh, the way this works is that a bridegroom would be announced to come out in those days and usually just a few minutes beforehand the, the uh, virgins would get ready, the, the bridesmaids if you like would, would get prepared and they would have oil in their lamps. Now the difference between the foolish and wise virgins was not that they weren't prepared, the foolish ones, to buy extra oil because they went out and bought it. The reason they were foolish was they'd worked out just how much oil they thought they would need before the bridegroom turned up. The wise ones had got lots ready. They'd invested. So what does this teach us? I believe that God doesn't tell us the hour or the day because he knows we will work out 
what we need to do up until that time. We'll work out exactly how much we need to do. We'll work out how much time we've got left. We'll, we'll work out what we need to do uh, to avoid uh, uh, um, doing something wrong or what we need to do uh, in order to gain a reward. In other words, I believe at least, that we will figure out to ourselves, well, if Jesus is coming on this date, I need to get ready now. And our preparation, the things we do, will not be authentic. They won't be coming out of a love for God, a love for Jesus and for the things that Jesus wants to do on the planet. They'll just be things we do because we know that any minute he's coming now, and we want to avoid doing bad things, and we want to make sure we do the right things. And I think this is a problem. I think Jesus is looking for authentic faith. Now, there's another clue to this in the uh, fuller context of Jesus and the sages of, uh, of the time around Jesus. They said something that I found really interesting about this. So the Babylonian Talmud records Jewish writing on this subject and has two interesting commands. The first one says this, may the bones of those who calculate the end be blasted away. So that seems rather harsh. Why would it be so bad to work out the end? Well, possibly because of this next commandment. It has been taught that three things come when the mind is diverted. The Messiah, finding a lost article, and a scorpion. So don't postpone his coming by thinking about it. So why would that be? Why would, why would this teaching from the Jews say, don't be working out the end times because actually you're going to put off the Messiah? Well, the clue might be here in the scorpion. Uh, many years ago, I was driving with my family in Arizona and uh, we pulled over to stay uh, over one night in a motel. And just as I was getting into bed and the boys who were little at the time were asleep, I pulled my um, blanket over and just saw something on the floor and it was a scorpion. Now, I didn't notice it at the time, but it was, it was a, an Arizona bark scorpion. So I looked at it and it was small, it was kind of translucent and I thought, I'll leave it. You know, I'm the kind of person who doesn't hurt animals if I can avoid it. And I got into bed and I thought, you know what? What if the boys get up and it stings them? Maybe it's more dangerous than I realise. So I got up and I squashed it uh, with one of my boots. When I got back, I realised uh, it was a good thing to do because actually it's the most venomous uh, scorpion in North America. Now, at the time, it caught me by surprise. You don't see many scorpions wandering around Manchester. And this was shortly after we'd moved over. So I just didn't know what to do. Uh, I didn't know how to manage the situation. And I think that's the problem. I think uh, if we could, we would manage God. And if we can manage the situation, if we know when the Lord's coming again, we'll manage ourselves in such a way as to avoid punishment and get our best reward. And that's not such a bad thing. But I believe that God is looking for a kind of purity of heart. He's looking for us to obey him, not because we know there's impending judgment, but because we love him and we love what he's doing on the planet. So the parable of uh, the ten virgins is about purity, but not so much about purity of body, but purity of heart and motive. So let's think about our work, first workshop and let's put ourselves into the minds of the foolish virgins. 
So in this drash exercise, we asked the specific question, what was going on in the character's heart and mind? And in this situation, we're talking about the foolish virgins. And then we look at our generic instructions. We choose which character in the passage will drash, like I say, the foolish virgins. We'll choose the verses we will drash in the first person. And we'll retell the story, fill in the gaps, but never change the facts. So let me give you the verse that we're going to retell and drash. We are going to rewrite the first three verses. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took the lamps but did not take any oil with them. So we know that the foolish virgins only took enough oil in the lamps and no extra. Why do you think that is? I'd like you to retell that story in first person. So tell it as though you are one of the virgins and tell us the story, but add into it the reason, the thought, what you were feeling and why you therefore never added more oil as you must have seen the other virgins do. You must have seen them take extra oil, but you chose not to. Why would that have been? Okay, hopefully uh, you'll find that an interesting exercise and you'll find different people's drashes interesting when they retell it and then we'll carry on and look at the principle. So I don't know what you came up with and what your friends in your group uh, discovered, but um, as you may know, if you've done this before, the sages would say that whatever you wrote down is a possible reason why those fictitious um, virgins would have been foolish but the probable reason why we sometimes only do just what we have to do. So let's look at the principle the Bible teaches us. The Spirit of Jesus gave us this principle, uh, I think in response so much to the fact that we sometimes want to work out when there is there going to be some kind of end result and what do we have to do and what can we avoid doing to make sure we're ready for that occasion. The principle is found in Galatians. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reapeth. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. So this is an interesting kingdom principle. You see, if I was God, I would do things differently. Uh, I would bring instant rewards or instant punishments because I would be wanting to control people. So in my world, if I was God, then when a Christian businessman maybe gave money towards the kingdom, immediately the next week, his business would boom. If he held things back from the kingdom, his business would plummet. If a pastor prayed more, if a pastor... Um, uh, worked hard on one week, then the next week the church would increase in numbers. Um, but if he didn't work, if he was a little bit lazy, uh, then the following week instead, the numbers would be down. Uh, that's how I would work in, in my world. You know, if you're a Christian and you forgive, then the next week people would forgive you and God would bless you. If you gave financially the next week, um, miraculously money would turn up in your account somehow. 
but if you withheld from helping people, if you didn't forgive, then the following week there'd be some instant kind of punishment. Things would go wrong for you. Thank goodness I'm not God because God does things differently. Faith is in the waiting. Faith comes because we act on what we hear. We act on the word of God and we wait. We know that at some point in the future, there will probably be some kind of reward. We know that doing what God says will ultimately help us avoid punishment and bad things. But we don't see that happen. So we have to live by faith. We have to live through relationship we can't manage God because God because God is just unmanageable as well as unimaginable. So what we do is we do things out of faith. So when it comes to the future, line dwellers are guided by their questions. What is the timeline? Is there a shortcut? What can I do now that will benefit me soon? However, cloud dwellers are guided by his questions. Will you commit to the process? Will you trust my strategy? What will you do now so that others can benefit from it in the future? So for me, this is the key. Jesus is looking for us to train and not try. He's looking for us to do things consistently in faith, believing in him and believing in his words. What he doesn't want from us is to just work out what we have to do uh, depending on when we think things are going to happen like the foolish virgins did. So the example I often give of this is when I first decided to go surfing and I grew my hair long because I was going to go to the coast. I bought some board shorts and I got my surfboard and I swam out into the ocean. It was a beautiful day. I remember the day was gorgeous. There were some great waves. And because I looked the part, um, other surfers made comments to me. So at one point there was a wave approaching and I was just in the right spot to catch it. And they shouted over to me, hey, this one's got your name on it. This one's perfect for you. Unfortunately, because I hadn't trained, because I didn't really know what I was doing, when that wave hit me, I just went round and round and round in a tumble machine. It was like I was in a washing machine, I should say. It was an awful experience. I just got washed up on the beach and I thought, maybe I need to start practicing. The problem is, as Christians, we try and we don't train. And the reaping and sowing principle encourages us to train now for future well, we don't even know what the future holds for us, do we? But God does. And also it encourages us to sow now for the benefit of others, not simply for the benefit of ourselves. So with these things in mind, let's think about our next workshop. So what have you tried to do in your life when in fact you should have been training for it? And what do you suspect God is leading you into and how can you train for that now? What I'm trying to do in this very simple workshop is get you to think about not just being a bit lazy like the foolish virgins were and in the moment when something happens, try something. I'm hoping you'll begin to trust in what God is saying to you. Think about the things that he's promised. Think about the things in his word and begin to train faithfully in those areas now. I think I've said before in a different live why I have a friend who once said, I don't pray for an hour in the morning so that God speaks to me in that hour. 
I pray for an hour in the morning so that God can speak to me and I can recognize his voice at any point in the day when I suddenly need to hear his voice. Let's start training and stop trying. Okay, please uh, just take five, ten minutes to, to discuss those questions. I'm going to come back and look at the great promises that Jesus and the Word of God gives us. First, let me just share this little poem with you. Sow a thought, reap a word. Sow a word, reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character and you will reap a destiny. Just because you think you want to do something and you think God's going to do something does not necessarily equate to your destiny. There's a big gap between thinking about something and actually the reward of doing it and seeing it happen. Training is about character. God is interested in developing our character and that's what the principle of reaping and, and sowing, sowing and reaping leads to. So I'm going to show you a picture of my two sons when they were younger. The Psalms tell us that children are like arrows in our quiver. In other words, children are like arrows that you can shoot into a future that you're never going to go into. And uh, my sons, when they were younger, I could sow into them, but I have no control over them now. They're both uh, young adults. They're both out in the world. One's in Norway right now. One's living in Texas. Uh, they have their own girlfriends and their own fiancés. Uh, right now, um, I can't really control them. I can't tell them what to do. I could just put into them when they were younger and have faith that that will play out. So I can't try and control them now. I can only train them when they were younger. And there's a, an incredible promise that comes with this principle. And it goes like this. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, the more you sow now, the more you will reap later. I think that's a wonderful thought. Um, there's this promise that I know that, um, you know, if I change my character now, for instance, if I, if I stop being a liar, if I stop being a gossip, then people may not notice for, for quite a while, but eventually they will. There's a promise there. I think labels are literally like sticky labels. And you know the way people see us? It's like a sticky label. You may remove the label. God may change something in you, but there's always, always this glue and this residue you have to scrape off. So you may change today and people may not see it uh, for some time, but eventually they will. So we change now and, and God sees it immediately. People may catch up later, but eventually, whatever you sow now, you will reap at a later stage. I say to national directors on pays, what you do today, you won't reap probably for about two years. And what you're reaping now is what you sowed two years ago. Now, the problem with this is that sometimes when things don't work out yet the way we imagine, we can sometimes downsize our vision. We should never downsize our vision in times of trouble or when our promises, God's promises, have not come to fruition yet. You should never chop down a tree in winter. 
You know, in winter, I've got some trees outside right now and they look dead, but they're not. There's lots of growth going on underneath. In fact, in winter, that's where the growth is actually happening. If I was to go now and look at that tree and think, oh, it's dead and chop it down, then it won't flourish, of course. And the problem is that sometimes we cut down our vision in times of trouble or when, you know, the, the reward has not happened yet in that delayed period. And I would encourage you to think about these four things just really quickly. Don't downsize your vision in times of trouble. Keep on sowing as you first believed you should. Do not downsize your sacrifice or commitment because the dream has been delayed. And remember, you will reap in proportion to what you sowed, not what you hoped to sow. In my book on the Kingdom Principles, there are many sub principles. There are lots of different details about reaping and sowing. And uh, today in this episode, I've just mentioned one of them. Um, I would encourage you because I think this is a really important principles for us to be thinking about when we think about what we're doing right now and the commitments we presently have. But to finish, let's look at our final workshop. So with the poem and God's promises in mind, at what stage of the process are you at when it comes to serving God. So we've put down the poem on the worksheet. Now thinking of a particular promise that God's given you or a project or purpose that you're pursuing, where would you say you are in that process? You know, have you sown a thought yet? Are you, are you making sure your mind is right? And are you seeing uh, your um, deeds follow that thought and are you seeing those deeds build up into some kind of habit? And is that habit producing character yet? And is that character beginning to pay dividends? Are you beginning to see the fruits of that? Where are you in that process? The point of that question is just to get you thinking about the fact that you actually are in a process. Just because you think something today or even do something today does not mean that the, the result will happen immediately tomorrow. The second question is this. Meditate on the tree in the picture and ask yourself, am I still investing in all that I hope to do or have I downsized my commitment due to difficult times? I think these two questions will help you just think through the process you're in and if you're still pursuing it. I would encourage you, if you're pursuing something that God said to you, keep on going. There's always a reward. There's always some kind of fruit. You just never know when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, or exactly all that God has for you. But but trust me, not because I'm someone you can trust, but because I'm simply reading to you the promises of God. Don't give up. If you're sowing now, you will see the benefit and others will as well. Bless you. Hopefully this has been a helpful episode. I'll speak to you again. Bye-bye.